Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. We are continuing our series on the attributes of God. We're using uh, A.W. Pink's book as kind of our guide through that. So last week we started things off talking about the solitariness of God. And this week we're talking about the decrees of God. And joining us today to talk about that is Dr. Brian Hansen. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Yes, thank you. Good to be back, as always. And Brian is an assistant professor of humanities and theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary up there in Minnesota. He's also taught at uh, St. Andrews all the way over in Scotland and uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and other uh, classical schools. So we have a genuine scholar here, and I'm excited to hear uh, what, what Brian has to say. So, Brian, let's start off with defining what do we mean by the decrees of God? Typically, that theological term or phrase is used in describing God's providential act in electing and, or in other words, choosing, electing and saving, I should say drawing and saving a particular people to himself. And so that's the term that's been used historically now for the last I would say that term is probably around uh, 100 or so, maybe 200 years old. It's not used during the Reformation period of time, but we understand it to be a Reformation, Reformed doctrine of our faith, the decrees of God. Yeah, the whole idea that God elects, he sovereignly chooses a people for mm-hmm. himself before the foundation of the world. So God has a plan in store, uh, Ephesians 1 we'll get to in, in a moment, but he foreordains everything that, that comes to pass. In fact, uh, A.W. Pink uh, in the book that we're studying, says the decrees of God is his pur- or the decree of God is his purpose or determination with respect to future things that relate to all future things without exception. John MacArthur, in his study, refers to it as his eternal plan, whereby, according to his decretive will and for his glory, he foreordained everything that comes to pass. So we're talking mm-hmm. about um, God electing those, God having a plan in place for the entirety of the world. That. That really seems scary to some people. Uh, you said it's a reformed doctrine. Those that aren't reformed uh, really bristle against this idea. Right. That's correct. And I think it's hard for us in our finite minds to grasp God's sovereignty and salvation. Uh, there's, I think there's a human aspect to us that doesn't grasp the, the infinite God decreeing, electing, sovereignly choosing one people. And if we use human logic, there obviously is the other side, which is God not choosing or passing right. over certain people. And this is a doctrine of predestination. And uh, and that's a whole other debate, um, which we could talk about, of course, if we had time. Or, um, uh, But, you know, the idea of predestination, God predestines or predestinates those whom he chooses, and he, he makes the path clear. But there's also clear teaching instruction in the Bible that there are those who that that God condemns mm. uh, and yet holds them responsible. And that's the other right. debate, as you will, why people often ask, even Christians, why would God hold certain people responsible if he was if he's passing over them right. uh, through uh, um, reprobation? So and we're going to get to some of those scriptures and look at that. Uh, and just a moment before we do that, I, I want to 
let's get deep into the theological aspect of this. And I'm going to throw some terms out there that are often confused, and, and some have never even thought about these these categories at all. But tell us, what is the difference? Let's define these terms and, what, mm-hmm. and, and separate them. Superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism. Those are great yeah. words we can throw around the dinner table later tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could really sound smart. But uh, rather than just sounding smart, let's talk about what these mean and, and how they come into play here. Right. So these terms have to do with the timing uh, or the sequence of God saving uh, certain people to himself. So, su- um, sorry, superlapsarianism. Superlapsarianism, uh, the prefix supra means simply before. And the uh, word, the, the term lapse uh, in that word means fall. So we're talking about something before the fall, and this is God decreeing something before the fall. In other words, God is, according to super, superlapsarianism, God is electing uh, or choosing some men to salvation in Christ before he creates the world, uh, which is, of course, before the fall. Um, but the key idea is it's before. At the ver- one of the very first decrees, according to this doctrine, is that God elects, decrees the election of certain men to salvation. The difference with, uh, with an infralapsarian is the word infra. Infra means after. So that means God is decreeing certain men to be saved after the fall, after creation, and then thus after the fall has already taken place. So um, that is the difference. Now, I would say that the similarities, both both um, uh, doctrines have been held by Reformed theologians throughout the centuries, um, even though they sound quite a bit different. But at the core, both believe in a sovereign God, both believe that God elects, and that God decrees the election. Um, and the difference is the timing of it. And again, good men differ on this. It's a ref- both are reformed doctrines, and yet uh, both um, differ. I will say, as a historian, though, that the general position of most reformers, in- including reformed creeds and confessions throughout history, has been a tendency to be uh, infralapsarians. Uh, and so that would be the historical trend in the last 500 years, I would say. And so this is an in-house debate. This isn't. Uh... This isn't something sure. that this isn't a matter of Arminian and Calvinism. These are both within the Reformed house. That is correct, yes. That is correct. And again, uh, these are fine points, and I would say, just personally, um, these are not deal breakers. These are not things that right. should cause uh, separation or angst or agony over um, uh, the decrees of God. I think in, in both cases, the decrees of God are sovereign uh, and for the purpose of electing, choosing a people to himself. Right. Well, let's talk about, uh, let's look at a couple of, of passages here. And I want to look first look at Acts 2 and, and verse 23. The context here is, this is the martyrdom of Stephen. He is being stoned, and before he, he dies, he gives this this speech to what will be his, his murderers. And talking about Jesus in particular, uh, I want to start, I'll start in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So here we have Jesus who was crucified, 
And yet, this was according to a definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how that plays into our topic here, a definite plan and foreknowledge. Yes, so uh, clearly here, uh, this verse is teaching that God planned in advance or decreed in advance Jesus' death. And again, this goes into the debate of both superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism. Uh, if we were to look at the sequences and, and put them all out, uh, we have the decree, both agree, by the way, that the decree to redeem the elect by the cross work of Christ, both infralapsarians and superlapsarians, superlapsarians agree with that, yeah. that God decrees the redeemed to be elect at some point in time uh, through the cross work of Christ, and that's very important. And so here you have uh, Peter clearly teaching that in his, in his sermon here. So again, does it really matter? I would argue, does it really matter as far as the sequence of, of these events? I would say most, you know, as I said, most reformers tend to be infralapsarians, but at the day, end of the day, superlapsarians also agree that infralapsarians, in that the decrees of God are clearly leading to uh, the redemption of his people through a cross of Christ. And that's, that's the key thing, I think. All right, now I want to turn back to Ephesians 1. In fact, I didn't put this in our notes, but and I, and I meant to. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is mm -hmm. probably one of the classic passages we talk about when we, when we talk about this particular topic. Right. And in, in particular, um, well, I'm going to start off in verse uh, 7 and read down to verse 11. In whom Christ, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So here we certainly have the redemptive purpose of Christ stated. We have uh, mm -hmm. redemptive history uh, emphasized. But in the midst of that, how, why are the elect the elect? Because it's according to the counsel of his will. So it's not according to a foreseen goodness in uh, mm -hmm. those elected. It's not a matter of uh, just uh, those other guys were really, really bad, so I want to save these people instead. But this is all has a purpose um, according to the counsel of his will. Mm -hmm. So how does that counsel of his will uh, mm -hmm. seems a, a definite decree that God mm -hmm. made, again, in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world? Correct, yes. Granted, humanly speaking, this is all mystery, right? This is very right. mysterious to try to understand God's mind. Election, we don't, we don't understand that why um, God would, uh, would choose certain people. But I often, a comforting thing for me in the doctrine of election or predestination is that God was under no obligation to save anyone after yeah. the fall. Once, and I think it's very important to understand when we think about the doctrine and nature of sin and doctrine of salvation, Christians uh, are totally reliant, or people in general are reliant upon God's mercy. Adam and Eve were reliant upon God's mercy. The fact that Genesis 3.15 took place, the Proto-Evangelium, that was totally of God's mercy to, to say that the serpent's head would be crushed. Right. Uh, God was not obligated 
In fact, God's justice demands sin to be punished, and God would have been totally in the right for all of humanity of all time to be condemned forever. Yet God is also merciful, and God provided a path, a way, Jesus, the cross, so that people, when they put their faith in Jesus, are saved, and those are elect. Uh, and so, uh, and that's what Paul's purpose in Ephesians 1. Uh, even in verse, um, you start in verse 7, but also in verse 5, he uses the term again, predestined us in love. See, it's about God's love. God, again, had was no under under no obligation, but of his because of his love, he predestined us. He decreed us to be adopted through Jesus Christ. Again, that's the, the redemptive key there. According to the purpose of his will. It's interesting in this passage, these key phrases, purpose, will, predestination, they all kind of blend together here. Right. Obviously, decree language here of God actually making in, in point one some point in time in uh, in the past, in eternity past, God thinking and planning in love for His people to be saved. Again, utter mercy, sheer mercy. No one deserves that at all. Even the elect, the elect don't deserve that. And as you rightly noted earlier, Kevin, um, there's no God does not foresee any goodness in anyone. God doesn't look down the quarters of time and say, oh. That person will believe, or that person will do something good, and so I, I'm going to choose that one. No, there's no foreseeing goodness. In fact, the Bible says often that in Roman, again, actually in Romans three, that we are utterly destitute. We are utterly in sin, born in sin, uh, permeated with sin. And, and in fact, Isaiah says any acts that we do are equivalent or worse than filthy rags. And so we're just born in, in sinful nature. And so for God to even reach out and to us and draws to himself is just sheer mercy. We're going to talk more about that idea of foreknowledge in, in two weeks when we, we cover that with uh, Pastor Aaron White. And so uh, let's talk about some some dangers to avoid or, or controversies to bring up. If God has ordained all things, mm-hmm. we, we look at the, at the idea of what about sin? How, how can God hold people accountable for their sin? We, we brought this up a little earlier. Mm-hmm. If I'm not elect um mm-hmm. that's not really my fault then right and so therefore uh god is elected or god has ordained a world where i would sin so that isn't that really on god and not on me mm. yeah that's a good question and that's something that a lot of people wrestle with even some christians the bible makes it clear you have two uh, streams if you will in the bible yeah. of divine sovereignty but responsibility as well. God doesn't create robots. God doesn't create humans to um, be robotic and have a predictable um, movements. In other words, God creates everyone with individual will. Um, and you know the term free will can often be abused, and so I, I hesitate to use that term. But God does clearly, for example, in the Old Testament, Invite people to repent. I think I think about the Gospel of Isaiah. I like to call it the Gospel of Isaiah, where look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. I am God, and there is none else. Jesus in his ministry is constantly inviting people to believe, to repent, to uh, come to him. Invitations everywhere in the Gospels. Clearly, Jesus is speaking in the context with awareness that people have a choice. People have still have a responsibility, and so uh, Jesus is called to. Repent and and come to the kingdom um, would make no sense if if Jesus is speaking to robots. Right. So Jesus is Jesus coming to Earth is is 
just a demonstration of the fact that the invitation of the gospel is for all and that men are capable, not of their own, of course, as we see in Paul's letters, not of their own, but through grace, God's grace permeates their will and and allows and opens their will so that they choose Christ. Again, that's not robot, that's not robotic, uh, according to the scriptures, but it is it is uh, on man's responsibility, man's burden to believe in Christ. Yet, yeah, it's also the second stream of, of God's uh, sovereign grace. And we also see in scripture, I think that God does use the sinful acts of man. Uh, mm-hmm. The classic passage, Genesis 50, verse 20, we have Joseph who has been uh, treated horribly by his brother, sold into slavery, mm-hmm. yet God used that situation to save his people. In fact, for a redemptive purpose, God uh, kept the, his line, uh, the, you know, the line eventually leading to Christ, from starvation, from famine, by putting Joseph in that position, yet he also used the sinful actions of his brothers, which they were held accountable for. And, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis fifty twenty that uh, Joseph declared that you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. So we do have a, a dual purpose here. Right, exactly. And this theme of Genesis 50 continues on throughout various portions of Scripture, too. You can see that's one of my favorite uh, verses in the Psalms. Uh, that deals with this is uh, Psalm 7610. I'll just go ahead and quote it here. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. So God God is not the author of sin, but God is so holy and powerful that he can take the wicked acts of man and use it to praise him. Again, I, I personally can't understand that. And I don't think any theologian can understand how God can take wrath and sinful things and actually use it for his glory but he does and you can see that in human history i love studying human history and you can look back in time and think god can use horrible things in history for his glory still and again we can't do anything like that but god can um and even yeah no go ahead I also say the other class passage to be considered here too and which actually causes some angst among some people is God hardening Pharaoh's heart in the passage in Exodus 9, um, which is an important one to consider. And I think simply what's happening there is uh, Pharaoh, the, the text clearly says here that Pharaoh's hardening his heart against God. And it wasn't, it isn't until uh, the sixth plague where it said, we see actually in Exodus 9 that God hardens his heart. But you see the dual God's is sovereign, but also Pharaoh is responsible for hardening his own heart. Um, Pharaoh is is not coerced into condemnation by God. Pharaoh is given opportunities for repentance, but he clearly chooses of his own heart not to not to repent. Um, and again, in the Gospels, uh, for a final example, Jesus clearly in his ministry offers numerous invitations, as I said earlier. But he also teaches that the more of God's revelation is given to men, the more responsibility there is to receive. And if you reject revelation, you are more condemned. Jesus says uh, in one um, one portion of scripture that it's more tolerable tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you, uh, speaking to Cana and, and different cities in Galilee. In other words, those cities in Galilee saw divine revelation. They re- saw the miracles. They heard Jesus. They saw Jesus, yet rejected Jesus. Yet Sodom and Gomorrah never saw the direct revelation of God in those ways. So 
more can be said about that, but there is a correlation between more revelation, direct revelation, and more responsibility. One of the things I'm trying to emphasize in this whole study of the attributes of God is to emphasize the absolute majesty and awesomeness of God. And there are times we just need to stop and say, wow, let's mm -hmm. just behold his majesty and, and his, just be awestruck. And, and, and as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm just thinking only God can take mm -hmm. the rebellious acts of defiance that we give and turn that and use that even for his glory. And yeah. even we're trying to work against it, yet he's going to take that very thing and say, you know what? I'm going to use this, and this is going to glorify me. And I just yeah. have to stand back and say, wow, that is our, that is our God. And that's exactly right. And that's, what, that's what's so glorious about salvation. Salvation mm -hmm. has nothing to do with us. Right. Salvation is entirely God's working. And one of my favorite quotations in church history of all time is from Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite um, theologians from church history, when he said, quote, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's so, that's so good because it's so true. God completely is involved in salvation. Yeah. We contribute nothing at all. Uh, we are sinners, saved by grace. And, and what's remarkable about that is we, we get the question, okay, well then, if, if God has ordained uh, the salvation of his elect, then why should we evangelize? Mm. Or how do I know if I'm elect? And mm -hmm. when I get that question, I tell people, well, when it comes to salvation, the only thing, the only requirement is that you're a sinner. Are you a sinner? Well, if you are, the mm -hmm. good news is, let me give yep. you the gospel, because exactly. I have no other reason to believe uh, mm -hmm. you're not, because you're sin, God saves sinners, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Exactly. Message. That's exactly right, and that's and that's what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do uh, before he ascended into heaven, is to go into all the world and preach right. the gospel to every creature, uh, and to uh, call disciples, invite disciples, invite people to become disciples of Jesus, and baptize them, and so forth. And Jesus never made any distinction, go to certain right. people who look like they might be worthy of the gospel. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus says, evangelize, and don't be, don't be inclusive, but exclusively go and preach the gospel to all nations. And the exciting thing is that God did tell us to go to the entire world, which tells mm -hmm. us that th this this group, this body, the elect, must be a pretty large group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we think of elect as a as a uh, as a border or as something that that uh, mm -hmm. limits. But instead, I mean, we go back to Abraham, and and he said, "Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky." So there's no reason to think that my neighbor isn't uh, a mm -hmm. candidate for salvation. There's no reason why I think every person that passes my path today could possibly be part of God's people that I could have the joy of leading to him. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing that we see in the book of Revelation where all tongues and nations and languages and tribes, right. um, says in Revelation, will say worthy is the lamb. So you have yeah. all sections of geography, all sections of social st uh, stati throughout the world that will bow down before Jesus in, in, as disciples, and that's really exciting. So, no, I don't, the, the gospel is not, is not limited. Yes, there, we believe in election, but the gospel should be given. So um, uh, this doctrine should not be a damper upon yeah. evangelization of, of anyone. So in sure. fact, it should, properly understood, this should be an encouragement, an, an inspiration to go out. Absolutely. That's what I believe. All right, 
Well, let's get into, uh, I think we just covered a, a pretty good application section there. Go out and proclaim this gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about our final section here, recommended resources uh, for going a little deeper. What, what are some books or some sources you think would, would uh, be a help in understanding this doctrine a little further than, than we've got here today in this podcast? I think the most helpful discussions on this for Christians can be found often in systematic theologies. Uh, there's books here and there about election, um, but I think that for, for fundamental um, s- starting position on these, I've, I've often encouraged people to consider some good systematic theologies that are they're not complex. The ones I would recommend are not complex or full of jargon, but they're really straightforward. I would say my three favorite would be Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, a very popular one today. I also personally like Robert Raymond's. Robert Raymond's right. a good reform theologian, uh, his systematic theology. And then a third one that I like a lot is Millard Erickson's hmm. uh, systematic theology. I think it's called Christian theology, actually. Uh, but all three, I've, I've read all three completely from cover to cover. And when they speak of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, and this idea of predestination, they speak out very clearly um, and and all three of them just give a list of, of scriptural texts and they explain quite a few as well too. And that's just helpful. We need to be very textual and biblical about this. And I appreciate all three of them handle the scriptures very wisely and very carefully in looking at the text and the language. And I'll echo what you said about Wayne Grudem. As our faithful listeners know, I recommend him quite a bit, and especially uh, mm-hmm. his work in systematic theology. And, and if you, you feel like, okay, you get this, big thick blue book and you think man can i get through this <laughs> you know you can you can take a step down and get his bible doctrines book um mm-hmm. which is, which is what i use in my systematic theology class which I'm, I'm gearing up for uh next week or even there's a there's even a smaller little book he's put out covering some of the same topics and it's it's a really easy read uh not necessarily an easy read but it's easy to understand yes um, I agree. and i want to add to that list John MacArthur just published one just recently, and those over there at the uh, Master Seminary, Bible Doctrine, a Systematic Summary of Bible Truth. I haven't read that cover to cover yet, but I'm, I'm starting to go through that. I got the Kindle version, and I, I found especially this the section on the decrees of God to be helpful. And, mm-hmm. of course, we are uh, our, our study here is based upon the attributes of God by A.W. Pink. And so if you haven't got that yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. This is week two. You got to get on the ball, but anyway, uh, and I also. But before we go, uh, you know, we want to remind everyone that uh, Brian, you are an author as well, and your book doesn't have to do with this topic. But uh, going back to the Puritans and Abraham Shear, who may not be uh, the most recognizable character from that age, tell us just a little bit about about that book. It's a short read, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a valuable read as well. It is. Uh, Abraham Shear was a particular Baptist. The same actually the same time period as John Bunyan. While John Bunyan was suffering in prison in Bedford, England, Abraham Cheer was in southern England the same exact time in prison uh, for the same reasons. So this was the time of nonconformity in the 1660s in England. And so the, uh, the, my, my work covers uh, his suffering in prison for eight years uh, because he refused to conform to the state church. And so what I've done is in that uh, book is to compile various thoughts about Abraham Cheer and actually included some of his writings uh, in prison in his final uh, couple of years in prison. And we'll have a link to all of those on our website, so don't forget to check that out at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. Brian, thank you for, for joining us and taking the time to uh, talk about these things. 
It's always a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I want to thank all of you for listening. And again, don't forget to check out our website. Check us out on Twitter at Basic Biblecast. And on that website, again, you can look at all the different resources we just mentioned and a whole bunch more from uh, previous episodes. So don't forget to share us with your friends. Get it out there on social media or however it is you get the word out. So uh, join us next week. We're going to be talking about the knowledge of God, Chapter 3 in this book. And we're going to be joined by uh, Pastor James White. Not that James White, but another James White. Not a doctor, unfortunately. But all right, so thank you, and and, uh, join us again next week.